Hello and welcome to the Fishing Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Wigman, in the house, and I'm so proud to say he finally made it here. I know, we've been working on this for, what, a year and a half now? <laughs> a long time. We're, <laughs> we're, uh, we're actually neighbors, yep. I would say, as the crow flies, it's probably like maybe five miles, six miles to uh, your place, but uh, yeah. we, are, we are hooked up, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> with KGB swim baits. Yes. And so some of you guys are swim bait fanatics and and you're waiting you've been waiting a long time for this show and we're here to do it. Right. This is one so. of the first ones I've done, so uh I'm excited to be here and excited to take a swing at it and see what I can do. Let's start at uh let's start at the beginning of this. How did yes. how did this all come about? And I I'm just going to give them a uh, sneak peek uh you can't see it on the radio but if you could see i'm holding something that most people would be proud of to catch yes that size but <laughs> this this is a big one that's the uh that's the biggest bait we make um call it the it's been dubbed the pounder just kind of it took on that name because it is it's a little over 16 ounces wow. so it's a gigantic bait tell us about swim baits in themselves let's start let's start with <sighs> How'd you start this? I okay, mean, so yeah, um, I grew up in Arkansas fishing, uh, fishing farm ponds and all that stuff. When I was um, a teenager, my family decided to pick up and move out to California. Um, and I was already into fishing. And when we moved out to California, we moved to Los Angeles, which you wouldn't think fishing would be a, a big thing out there. Right. Um, but it still is. It's actually kind of the home and mecca for big swim baits, especially right where I moved was Castaic Lake. Oh, wow. Um, I was about 25 minutes from Castaic Lake. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I was 14, 15 years old when we first moved out there, just got my driver's license um, out in California, and I found my escape at Castaic Lake. And I didn't start with swim baits. I was actually throwing um, I was throwing worms and, and uh, lizards and stuff like that. Right at Castaic Lake and doing really well. And, uh, you know, I drove by the tackle stores and, and would stop by the tackle stores and you'd see these big baits back then. They weren't, they weren't mass produced. There was just a handful of guys throwing them. Right. Um, the Huddleston was one of the big oh, baits wow. out there. Yeah. And then at the same time, I started working at a sporting goods store called Sport Chalet. They're out of business now. Right. But that was a, like a, it was kind of like a, uh, like a Dick sporting goods or Academy or something like that. It was kind right. of a, uh, it was a, a big brand store and I got a job in the fishing department, um, just restocking and helping customers and stuff like that. And we, right. we started getting some swim baits in. And so I was seeing them, I was around them, I was exposed to them, but never really tried them. Right. Well, there's a day, um, we had, a, my dad had, had gotten my brother and I a little tiny old Skeeter. I think it was like an 86 model Skeeter. Right. And we were going out to cast egg, fishing with live bait, fishing with shad, um, worms and just doing the typical fishing that you would do in Arkansas. Right. Well, there was a day that I didn't have a chance to launch the boat, so I just went from shore. And there was a gentleman, I was sitting there, it was during the spawn, and I saw this big bass, um, she was on a bed, and had, whether you're against bed fishing or not, that's, right. you know, I was a teenager trying to catch a big fish that I saw. And a gentleman comes up on a boat, I mean, no less than 15 feet in front of me. And pitches on that fish with a big swim bait and catches it first cast. And wow. I'd been fishing for that fish for probably two hours. <laughs> I was furious. I was mad that this guy on a right. boat came up and just like literally 15 feet away from me and caught the fish that I'd been fishing for. And that would have been my biggest fish ever. She was probably around nine pounds. 
and uh he laughed and he threw it back and you know i didn't know as much about bed fishing then as as i do now i didn't know it was right. going to come right back uh-huh. I, I didn't even know she was on a bed there was just a big fish that was laying there and uh long story short uh his name was dave and dave was nice enough to um he said hey like i know you're mad but come join me i'll show you some stuff wow and so he pulled up on the shore i jumped on his boat and to make a long story short dave introduced me to swim baits and what he was throwing at the time was a matt lures uh bluegill yeah Yeah. and he dropped it right down on the bed and that's why the fish ate um dave introduced me to, to big baits that day I had already been exposed to him, but he showed me what they could do, and I saw it live action right in front of me. Right. And so, um, anyways, Dave and I kind of became friends. He has a Dave's a funny guy. He, he's a good guy, just has a really strong personality. Yeah. Um, but he introduced me to swim baits. We started fishing together quite a bit, and um, he introduced me to the Huddleston and stuff like that. And yeah. then I finally went and bought one, and. uh Went out to the lake, and I didn't know how to rig it or anything like that. I had the biggest bait, the biggest rod and reel that I could buy. It was, you know, around saltwater stuff, so I had right. a... Uh, Pretty big. Yeah, yeah I heavy. had a yeah, big, heavy setup. Um, and I went out with a Huddleston and fished nonstop for two weeks without a single bite. And finally, I got a bite uh, right from the corner of a dock on Castaic. Uh, it was in the lagoon. There's only, like, two docks on that. Three at that time. There was one further <laughs> yeah. down. But, um you know, there's only so many places for these really big fish to hide in a small, the lagoon is almost like a pond. Right. Um, anyways, two weeks without a bite, finally hooked up to a fish and the first fish I caught on a swim bait blew my personal best out of the water. My personal best was from a farm pond in Arkansas. Right. And this bass, uh, had no upper lip. So she had to bite at everything that came across her path. Right. And, uh, caught that fish. She was nine pounds. Wow. So immediately, boom, new personal best. And then it was about a week later, I ended up catching another big one. There's one buoy and these bass during the summer or during the winter time in California, clear blue skies, they'll find any shade they can. So there was a buoy and I cast way past the buoy, drug it back. And you could see these bass were just stacked up below the buoy, uh, just catching any shade they could. And they had just stocked, I think the week before they'd stocked trout, but I drug my bait, the Huddleston right by that buoy and boom hooked up i saw the saw the fish come up and eat and it was a giant and landed the fish it wasn't much of a fight those big big fish they're just kind of sluggish at that point right but if they ever get their head turned away from you you're on for a good fight but with these big swim baits you don't do that you just grind like once you get them hooked up you just you try to ski them in Uh uh-huh because if you give them a chance then they're going to turn and they'll throw the bait so Anyways, not much of a fight. The fight wasn't all that memorable, but I got the fish landed, and she was just short of 16 pounds. Wow. And so I have been totally addicted to swim baits ever since. Um, biggest fish, still my personal best largemouth. She was 15'9". Wow. And she's still my personal. I've got a, a replica that's on its way. I finally decided, I, I found the yeah. measurements that I'd wrote down years ago. I found an old right. picture on an old camera. And I'm like, those are the measurements. So I sent the measurements in for a, uh, to get a replica. And I finally got the re- replica coming, you know, 15 years later. I'm going to have finally have a replica of this fish. Right. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was a memorable that was moment. 
And then, so how do you go from that point to making your own? You, right. you start tinkering in your garage? Well, or? sort of. So for the years that I lived in California, and I know that was a long backstory, but that's that's the addiction that got me hooked on this. Right. I'm still chasing. Like for anybody who's a deer hunter or anything like that, that's like shooting a thirty point buck for your second deer. Like you're right. always going to be chasing that. Uh huh. And so I got fully in depth with swim baits and started fishing swim baits only for like the next three four years. I moved back to Arkansas. Uh, my family, my family, uh, we were in construction back then, and okay. the economy kind of got weird in California around that time. It's around that was around oh six oh seven. Like the economy started to kind of get weird, and people weren't doing as much construction back then. So, my dad moved back here. I decided to move back and help him out, and I left all my swim bait stuff with my brother. I didn't think it would work in Arkansas. Oh no! And so I left all my swim bait stuff back there but I was still addicted to it. And so about six months of living here, I was like, man, I started getting the itch for, for swim baiting again, but I, I didn't have them. I, I, when I moved back here, I was broke. I mean, I, when I got back here, I think I had like two to $3 to my name right. and uh, spent all my money on gas and just getting back here. And then it took a while to get a, a, a job. And at that time it was just like, you know, starting over again. Right. And so I didn't have the money to buy swim bait. So I went out, cut down a cedar tree, let it dry out for about a month or two, and then went and cut a block of it off with a chainsaw and just ended up, you know, kind of cutting with the chainsaw down to the center of a cedar tree, the red part, because I knew that would be the most, you know, the strongest, most resistant part. And uh, actually took it to my dad's grinder. (laughs) Um, I remember he he got really frustrated because I I took it to his grinder that he sharpens his his, uh, lawnmower blades on and such. It's not made for wood. Oh, and so I had shaped out a bluegill, messed up his grinder. It was no good anymore. I mean, the wheel was just done. It was loaded with wood particles and all that stuff. But I went out to the pond and actually caught a fish on that first. And I looked for it. I found it the other day, and I I've seemed to have oh. lost it again. I was going to bring it with me to show you guys because right. I found the original bait, wow. the very first one. Um, and the hinges I didn't have. I didn't know much about making swim baits at that time. So the hinges right. and all the hardware was actually like picture frame Woodwork. stuff. Yeah. No, it uh-huh. was, it was oh. the stuff that you would hang pictures oh. with. The, the oh, screw really? eyes. Yeah. Brass, uh, screw eyes and stuff. Jeez. And so the hardware was way oversized and all that stuff. But the fish in the pond didn't care. They were just eating it. Right. And so that was the introduction to me making swim baits. I see. Was being too broke to buy them and still wanting to do it. And having access to what would typically be firewood. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, went out and carved a bait and then caught fish, carved another bait, caught fish, and it just kind of grew. I kept on carving new baits and catching fish. Right. And the addiction to making baits kind of grew on me almost more than fishing did. I started wanting to make better and better baits. Right. So if, how do you go to making, what is the materials that are, that are in one of these right so there's a lot of um options for materials there's literally thousands of options for resin and stuff like that so these are made Uh out of resin um they have some there's some stuff that's already pre-mixed that will float and all that stuff i don't do that i add there's some stuff called micro balloons excuse me so i take a two-part epoxy or epoxy resin type material Uh i can't give out exactly what it is but it's a two-part material and then we add some micro balloons to it to give it buoyancy and uh-huh. then we have to do the internal weighting and all that stuff. Um, basically, you come up with a design that you want to do, make a mold of that design, and then get your mixtures all right, which took a lot of trial and error. Right. And pour that into the mold, and then you end up with that. 
So, and then you've got to sand it, paint it, make it look pretty. And so, like um, KFC with their secret sauce, you have KGB secret sauce. Exactly, is that, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, some and other bass builders like bass like the flavor of it. Exactly. Obviously. Well, every builder they're going to have their little secrets, and mine uh-huh. is, is you know I've got secrets on how I do my stuff. One of them is right. the material I use, and then how I do the weighting and all that. But right. And so there's different shapes yes. in, in here because, you know, like more more uh, bluegill yeah. uh, shape compared to uh, like a like gizzard a sh- shad or a shad pattern. Right. And it's whatever um, whatever design you want to do. I mean, you can replicate it with resin. So right. um, I really found my I, – I started off making multi-jointed baits with, you know, two to three joints in it. Right. Um and they swim really snaky like and i found it really challenging to do a glide bait and the first ones i made were not successful glide baits are typically um a bait that has one single joint in it right and so it changes the action if you have multiple joints it's going to swim like a kind of snake like swim right as to where if you have a single joint you can get really long wide glides out of it that's why they're named glide baits mm-hmm. and i found that challenging and so i spent a lot of time almost 2 years um playing with glide baits alone before I actually kind of figured it out. Um, And each bait presents a challenge. Like each different design presents its own challenge on how you do the joint, where you put it, the angles of it. Just there's a lot of challenges to it that is, for me, it's really fun to overcome those challenges and get it right. And so size, Mm -hmm. if size matters, you come up with different sizes. The biggest, I guess we'll show them. This is... (laughs) The biggest one, right? The pounder. Yeah, the pounder's yep. the biggest. And, and then, and this is this a new one or that's, something that's happening? It is something that's happening. That is in the works. Oh, okay, um, been working we can on that. show them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, been Ooh, working I on this little bit. Worried about that for a second. We're out no, here no. showing it. To I them. didn't bring anything we can't show. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, the little bait. I've been working on it for a little over a year and a half, and I've played with little tiny baits for the past probably three or four years, but finally right. got one that I'm confident with. Uh, fished with it all summer, and I'm I'm gonna be working on getting a batch of those out. And when I say batch, like when we do production, we have to do it. We don't pour one bait at a time. Well, we do, um, but for produ- production purposes, we we'll have twenty to thirty molds, and we'll pour right. those molds for two to three days straight, and end up with you know two to three hundred baits. And then then they right. go to the next step, which is sanding and and getting them ready for paint, yeah, and assembly and all that stuff. So, um, how many how many people do you have working for you? I've got, let me see, four full time guys, two part time, and then I've got three painters that are pretty much full time painters for us. So, oh, really? Yeah, they they work from home, so they're they're not in the right. shop uh, itself. Uh-huh. I actually, one of them lives all the way out in Colorado, and so I mail baits to her, and then she'll paint them and send them back. Wow. Um, gonna have to hook you up with my son-in-law he just got done painting one of the uh when we get to pico to uh, tackle time we'll talk about that but yeah so the painters are they're pretty uh, much full time yeah Yeah. and they're pretty much full time so i mean this little what has grown from grinding a piece of cedar (laughs) on my dad's grinding wheel um has has now grown to where it's 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 supporting multiple families which is really really cool not only my own but I've got other people who are dependent on it, and it's full-time. Like, it's their career. And I know one thing that, that you deal with is because these are hand-built, mm-hmm. custom, basically, lures, 
is the production itself. Right. You don't, you're not putting out, you know, a large number of products not, like huge, like Strike Kings right. you know, might be putting out, you know, 500 of a certain color or 500 certain color out of right. 23, mo- you know, 23 models. Right. We've got, you know, production for what we do for handmade baits. I think we're probably, we're not the top, but we're definitely in the top four or five as far as numbers right? Uh, for handmade production swim baits. But we're nowhere near like the the big, big companies because right. we're not injection molding or anything like right. that. And that's that's also a difference of what you're looking for to get a bite too. I right. mean, these, these literally, literally the pounders made yeah. to catch a trophy fish. Right. It, it draws so much attention. Um, right. You'll still catch small fish on that. They're just aggressive. You know, fish don't right. have hands to feel something with. They got to feel right. it with their mouth. So if they're curious about that's it, right. you'll still get the curious catches. Um, you know, uh, the king, um, oh, I've, yeah. I've caught... The King is one of the baits that's hot right now. Everybody's wanting the King. Um, I used to make it three or four years ago, and I finally brought it back. Um, Big glide bait. Yeah. And the King, it's 11 inches, uh, 9.6 to 9.8 ounces is what they average. It's a big bait. It just has such a presence in the water that I've caught... I've caught bluegill on that, and I've also right. caught giant, giant striper on that. Anything from tiny bluegill who are just curious and aggressive, right. uh, little you know, eight and ten inch bass who don't have hands but they're right. curious about it, they'll come up and you know take a take a bite at it, all the way up to you know fifty plus pound striper who are truly trying to eat it. Let's talk about so, the tail. Yeah, the tail is not really an original. That's not like an original for you. That probably came from someone before I, you. Probably yeah. came up with the that but what what is this tail tell them about the tail yeah so uh the tail um when i first was early on um making these i tried hardtail the tails were the same material and built into the bait and they they were successful but i had seen and i was inspired by other tails that were these are paintbrush bristles is what they are and some people use different materials hair tail um these the ones that i use are paintbrush and something too that's really cool about this i finally my crew just in the past couple of weeks have learned how to make the tails, but for the past like right. four years, five years, my dad has made almost every single tail that is in these really? baits. Yep. So that's we something. We should have had him come on in. Yeah, too. I know. So uh, he sits down and he'll sit down and make right. these tails for us, and he'll, you know, hey, I've got a whole box of tails ready, and then I'll go pick them up and right. bring them to the shop and install them. Now, recently, um, he's getting older and, and wanting to just kind of hang out and relax a little more. He still makes tails, right. but I had him come into the shop and teach the crew, and now my crew can make the tails because we kind of had that's a little right. bit of a shortage uh, there for about. It doesn't seem like much, but two to three weeks, and running a small business. You run into a shortage of anything, it it can be right. crippling. So I was like, Dad, I need you to teach my crew how to make tails. How's the durability on them? They're uh, like for staying in there. Yeah, they're not going to pull out. They're not going to pull out. No, they're they're epoxied in. We have a system like cut a slot, put the tail or put epoxy in, and slide the tail in. They're not coming out. Now they right. will get really frayed. Yeah. Um, if you're slide if they're sliding around in the tackle box, they'll start to really flare out and get really frayed. Right. All you have to do is dip them in hot water, and they'll go almost right back to normal. Oh, really? Yep. Coffee temperature water. You can dip them in your coffee, stir it around. I wouldn't drink the coffee after because there's paint and stuff. But <laughs> yeah, you can dip them in, in hot water about yeah. the same temp as coffee, stir it around, and then you can just kind of pull the tails, and they will go back to almost new. Dude, almost that's new. Like, that's like a tip. Yeah. Should have had that. Should have had a tip on that. Yep. That's so a what's this section. one called? Because this is a cute. This I right. say it's cute little, but actually it's three – quarter of an ounce maybe um is no, it an ounce no it's more yeah it's two it is? two point 
Really? One ounces. I must say my Cheerios. 2.1 ounces. I have so many numbers that I... Oh, well, I was going to say, because when you're holding this and then you grab this, this is like... Yeah. So that's the uh, that's the Chad Chad. We ran with the oh. name for a while. It was called TSG. Uh, right. We For almost a year, we ran with TSG, and that was because I had partnered with Spro, and there was a lot of confusion with... with the chat chat that I make and the, right. and the chat chat that Spro makes. I knew all these new customers were getting confused. Um, cause we had thousands, you know, once we partnered with Spro, we had thousands of new customers. Right. And so they didn't know if they were getting a, a Spro chat chat or, or one made by us made, built by right. hand. And there was some confusion. So we switched over to calling them the TSG, which stood for textured chat glide. Oh. Um, yeah. But this year, I decided to go back to the original names. People were asking for it. Plus, the the original names are trademarked and all that stuff. When TSG right. is not, um, there and there's another company. I didn't realize at the time there's another company that's using TS. And so oh. he felt that we were kind of stepping on his toe. So I backed off. Said, "Okay, cool. We're just going back to the original name." Now that's caused a little bit of confusion. But this is designed um it was always designed to be the chat chat the next chat chat i right. change my designs every few years so there's a lot of like og like the original banks uh-huh. that a lot of people want wow um so like the chat chat alone it's gone through probably seven seven right. or eight different versions that have been available right to the public but there's probably 40 to 50 different versions in all that people have never seen vintage vintage, vintage lures yeah. exactly yeah crazy so you when you get to, I guess, to where you were building so many yes. quickly, how do you end up with this? So right. so these are all like custom coming out of your shop. Right. Then all of a sudden, Spro comes up and knocks on your door and... Uh, sort uh yes <laughs> and no. It was kind of a, it right. was a fluke deal. So um, during COVID, there was a lot of shortages. Right. And yeah. one of those shortages was hooks. And so uh-huh. I was running short on hooks. I couldn't get on my head like I would call and say, Hey, I need more hooks. And they're okay, we can put in an order for you. How many? And I would say, you know, five thousand, six thousand. Right. Yep. Just enough to get me by for a few months. You know, I try to order hooks and stuff like that in bulk, enough to yep. last me for a while. Um and the one of the times I called, they said, Hey, you have like 40,000 hooks on back order. We're just waiting for them to get in. They're in a shipping container out in, in right. the bay. And, you know, on the West Coast. And I was like, what? I have that many on back order? And they said, yeah. I was like, well, when are they coming in? They're like, we don't know. They're in a right. shipping container in the bay. And so, you know, we all remember that. It, it, so it wasn't that long ago. It's really easy to forget how hard some materials were to get. But for my small business, like, that's crucial. Right. And so I started sourcing hooks, and I called Gamagatsu. Right. And put in my order and we got all the way down to where he's like, okay, um, so you want 10,000. I'd never ordered from them before. Right. And normally you have to fill out all this stuff. And I said, look, yep. like I'm in a hurry. Like I need hooks. Can I just do this over the phone? Like I'll give you all my information. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and take care of you this day. He said, especially since you're ordering like so many, I was right. ordering 10,000 hooks. Uh-huh. And, uh, so he was putting in the order, got all the way to the email. And I thought I just had, I thought when I called, I didn't know, you know, when you call Gamagatsu or something like that, I expected it to be a massive company. Right. Um, and I thought I was going to get hold of, a hold of somebody just who answers uh-huh. the phone and puts in orders and all that stuff. I didn't right. realize I got a hold of one of the top guys. Just right. immediately, one of the top guys from Spro had answered. Uh, his name is Sid Reeves. Yeah, Sid. Yep. And we'll uh, give Sid a shout out. Haven't yep. seen you since ICAST. Yep. yep. So I've seen Sid several times since, but uh, but yeah, I had gotten gotten a hold of Sid Reeves, and I had no idea who he was. I just thought he was, you know. I don't even think I had his name at that time. Right. Um, I just thought he was a, a 
person who answers the phone, like right. a customer service representative. And right. uh, anyways, got down to the, he's okay, what's your email for the receipt? And I said, it's, K, you know, KGB swim baits and yada, yada, yada. I don't want to give out my full email, but that's right. <laughs> but uh, he goes, wait, KGB. And I was like, yeah, he's like, Kevin. And I was like, you know, that kind of took me off guard. Right. Yeah. He said, oh my God. Hey man, you want to do a collaboration? And I was like, no. Right. I didn't realize what he was presenting to me. As a, you know, yeah. I had had so many painters come to me and want to do collaborations at that time. Like I was getting, you know, every week I was getting some painter from every small town has a painter, right? Every right. small town yeah, has yeah. a painter that does crankbaits. Uh-huh. And at that time, I had had so many painters coming to me. I was just turning down every collaborate. They're, hey, do you want to do a collaboration? And I'd had right. some collaborations go well for a short term, but in right. this game, for the most part, they all kind of end up. Somebody ends up feeling like they're, Getting you know, the end, short end. Of the yeah, deal. somebody ends up feeling uh-huh. sour. So I was just absolutely no to all, to all collaborations. Um, and so when Sid said that, I immediately said no. I think he just kind of, oh, okay. Like he didn't think much of it. And then we got to talking about fishing. Right. And then it clicked. He He's, you know, oh, we're partners with, with Spro, or like we're sister company. Gamagatsu and Spro are like kind of the same company. Yep. Like when you call, you're, you, That's right. you're one getting hold the of the same. same. Yeah, they're yep. one in the same. And I, it just wasn't clicking. I was only searching for hooks. That's right. what my brain was on is I need materials. And then it all clicked about five minutes after talking to him about fishing and stuff like that. It just, boom, it hit me. And it's, hey, Sid, what, what did you mean about a collaboration? Right. Like what, what exactly are you talking about here? Right. And he kind of pitched the idea. He's like, well, you know, you design a bait and we work together and then we bring it to the mainstream and it'll be a spro bait. It's like, okay, how exactly does all that work? And so he started to tell me more, you know, multiple phone calls later uh, it, that definitely piqued my interest and I didn't commit right away, but I was very, very interested. And so month or two later, we had a deal uh, kind of on paper, and right. we started the process of designing the baits for Spro. So we took one of my most popular. He, he gave me pretty much free run. What That's what's cool about them is they're right. – um, with the, everybody that Spro works with, they actually work with that person. So any bait that Spro puts out, there's somebody behind it. It's not just this mega corporation who right. decides to uh, – Russ Lane with crankbaits, Mike McCall with jerkbaits. Exactly. They've got someone behind there that's They've got that's a name a behind force. it. Exactly. Yeah. It's a driving force who actually has personal input and helps. They don't just say, hey, here's 50 baits. Pick one and we'll put your name on it. Right. Um, they actually take advice and experience from those people, make the tweaks and changes with that person and the bait. And that's their – it's almost like a co-op in a way. Right. And that's what's so cool about it. And I felt so comfortable working with them for that. There you go. And then you end up with this. You end up with the Spro Chad Chet. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there took, you go. They, he gave me my choice. I took what was my most popular design. Um, and it was kind of a risk for a small business. Like, hey, here's right. my most popular product. Here you go. Right. You know, it could have absolutely killed my sales. Um, so I took a little bit of a risk doing that, but it, it didn't. Um, the sales kind for Spro. It sparks them this, and then they move on, don't you think? There's some back to, and forth. Yes. Yeah, because this is one size. Two different weights? Three no, different just, just one. Just one weight. Just one uh-huh. single weight. Just one design, one weight, uh, different slow, colors. Slow sink? Slow sink, yep. Yep, there you go. So, but then it feeds the, the It's my like customer. a crack addiction. This is, is what the deal is. He's on the corner like here, yep. try this, and then, you know, 
two months later, you're you're yeah. like, do I have to wait in line for this? Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so. exactly it. The customer, my my customer base. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I have some that are diehard handmade fans. They only want to buy handmade resin baits. Yep. But there's a large number who are like, you know what? I can pick just up a spro for half the price and right. throw it in the places where I normally wouldn't throw an expensive bait. Or just test it out. Or Some test people out. test the water out because it is a big bait, different techniques and styles. Yeah. yeah. And so then I gain a whole line of new customers who are introduced to swim baits by this. Right. And then they graduate and want to move up. So That's it's it. it's really, they've, they've fed each other. It's been a really, almost like a harmonic balance of... Yeah. What we've done with Spro and, and our own baits here in the shop. You know, that takes us to Tackle Time. Tackle Time sponsored by Pico Lures. Pico Lures has a complete line of hard and soft baits. Not as big as what we're talking about here, but maybe if you're crappie fishing, might be a little better if you use a two-inch grub instead of our pointer shad, <laughs> instead of trying to throw something that's as big as our crappie, a keeper crappie anyway. But uh, you can check them out online at picolures.com. Kevin, if they want to find out more mm-hmm. uh, or maybe uh, check out your baits, where would they go? So we have uh, social media, uh, KGB Swim Baits on Instagram and okay. Facebook. Uh, right. That's mainly how we do our, our advertising. We do have a website that stays pretty empty most of the time. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is they just sell out so quick. So we right. do, okay. we try to get away from the drop system where you drop baits and they're gone in a flash. I've really worked right. hard to get away from that. Okay. Um, but handmade baits, we can only make so many at a time. So if you go to the That's website, right. it's probably going to be empty. But we do announce um, via social media on when baits are available. All right. There you have it. Make so. sure you check them out. And like I always like to say, make sure you keep your hook sharp and your lures in the water.